amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you grab a seat, grab a Bible and get it on your lap to 1 John chapter 3. If you need a Bible, you'll find one under a seat, a table of contents will take you to this little letter in the back of the Bible uh, that we're in right now. It's the, the book of 1 John, uh, 1 John chapter 3. Uh, uh, I think in order to understand uh, where we're going today, uh, let me give us a quick uh, update on the last two weeks. As 1 John chapter 2 ended, John makes this statement. He says, those who are children of God or those who are born of God practice righteousness. And then before he gets to where we're going to pick it up in verse 4 of chapter 3, he spends the first three verses, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. He's like, I just got to stop and we just got to worship over this reality that we are children of God. And he just, he just explodes into worship at the beginning of 1 John chapter 3. Like this, he's like, this should, this should change. This should affect. This should help us understand, yes, we are friends with God through Jesus Christ. But it's more than that. We're adopted as children. And that's where we were last week. But now in verse 4, John is coming back to this idea that those who are children, those who are really children, will practice righteousness. And there's some heaviness in this paragraph. He's going to talk about the opposite of that. That those who aren't children don't practice righteousness. In fact, embedded in this paragraph that we're going to study today are these words right here. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. You you feel the tension of that. Uh, This isn't the only phrase like this we're going to find in this paragraph. There's four or five similar phrases to this, and I feel the tension of it. You feel the tension of it. What's the tension of it? The tension is, I know that I know Jesus, but I'm confronted every day and multiple times through the day that I still very much battle this sin thing. Anyone with me? And you, you read a passage like this, and you can feel the tension well up inside of you going, John, John, they're like, hey, could you expound on that a little bit? What do you mean by that? And that's exactly what we're going to do today. What does John mean by that? What are the things that should be true of those who are really children of God? What is it, how, does that, how should that lead us to be growing in righteousness? How should that lead us to see sin being defeated and diminished? Is John preaching here a, a sinless perfection on this side of heaven? Like if you truly know Jesus, you'll never see again, sin again. Is that what he's saying? These are the things we're going to unpack here. And I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. That when we get through the reading and the expounding of this paragraph right here, that everyone in this room first is going to walk out of here a follower of Jesus, a real follower of Jesus. That's the first hope. And then second, we'll be able to, in Christ, walk out of here rejoicing over what this says about the righteousness that Christ is working in us. You all for that? You all for that on a fall break, cold day, huh? You ready to get after it this morning? Let's do it. Pray with me. Father, will you do that? Would every heart walk out of here truly in relationship with you? 
in union with you so that we could rejoice over the righteousness that you are working in your children and that we could be warned of the peril of not being your children. God, please, by the power of your spirit, would your word go forth in power now. Get the preacher out of the way of the word. Please, Jesus, in your name, amen. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. There, there's some heavy stuff there. You want to understand this together? Let's do it. Let's break this paragraph into a three-part conversation today. The first part of the conversation starts with this statement right here. If I know Christ, I won't persist in sin. Both services. People didn't take notes. They just stared at me. Like, what do you mean by that, right? Let's look and see what John means by that, okay? If we know Christ, we won't persist in sin. How do we understand that in the right way? And how do we, under, what, like, what's a wrong understanding of that? And in order to begin this part of the conversation, we got to understand a little bit about what John says sin is. Back to verse 4 with me. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, and then he, def he helps define sin. At the end of that verse, he says, sin is what? Sin is lawlessness. Okay, so what is lawless about sin? What, what law are we breaking? Who, who are we ultimately sinning against? We got to understand all that, and we got to understand all that from the foundation or the origin of all of this being created. There's a holy and a perfect God, creator of the heavens and the earth. He's unblemished in every way. He is, you cannot find fault in him. He is perfectly majestic and he is awesome. He creates the heavens and the earth. He creates man and woman. Man and woman, they rebel against him. They sin against him. They break this moral law. God is a holy God. He has a way. He has a moral law, and all of us have broken it. Sin is lawlessness, and at the heart of lawlessness is rebellion. We were all rebels apart from Jesus Christ. Our sin has made us rebels against creator God. This is, like, we have to understand the exceeding sinfulness of sin. 
Because we can grow so comfortable with it, we can coddle it, we can make excuses for it, but sin is the ultimate lawlessness against a holy and perfect God. Sin is the ultimate rebellion against our creator. Sin is anything that doesn't bring glory to God. Think about that. Filter that. Our, our uh, uh, pastoral resident of young adults this week said that to me, you know, as we were talking about this, but he's like, Brock, sin is anything that doesn't bring glory to God. And man, like all of a sudden, I'm filtering TV shows watched through the week. Anyone else? You're like, we don't watch TV. Come on. <laughs> I'm filtering like thought patterns. I'm filtering, filtering the way I write. Anything that doesn't bring glory to God reveals the rebelness of my heart. Uh, sin is an offense against the one who created us. Think about, um, think about someone who creates a product. And when that product doesn't work the way the maker or the creator made it to work, we say it's broken. Like sin reveals our brokenness. We like have gone away from the way that our maker made us to go. Sin is, Wayne Grudem, this Bible scholar guy, he says sin is a fundamentally irrational. Like it is us moving away from our creator. That's irrational. Sin is lawlessness. And we have to start there. We have to understand the exceeding sinfulness of sin because it has to bring us to this place where we see God in all of his holiness, him, him as our maker, him as our creator, him as the one that like I was made to worship. And yet I'm confronted with my sin. And when we understand who he is, why we were made and the exceeding sinfulness of our sin, we will say, Lord, help me hate my sin more. Help me loathe it because I'm just going to be honest with you. As I'm in this passage on Tuesday and Wednesday and studying it, I just looked up from my desk and I was like, God, I don't hate my sin the way you hate my sin. Like if I'm honest, I'm actually kind of okay with some of my sin. Help me hate it. Help me loathe it. Help me see that like it is, it is total rebellion against you. So we have to understand this. That those, kind of all of this falling under this first point, if I know Christ, I won't persist in sin. we got to understand what sin is and why that is true. But now, um, we've, un we've talked about the rebellion of sin. Anyone ready to talk about the remedy of sin? Verse 5. You know that he appeared. Who's he? Okay, in church, if in a question, Bible, Jesus, God, like, you're going to be somewhere in the ballpark, okay? <laughs> Who's he? Perfect. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. So let's just worship over that for a minute. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's good news. I was lost. That's good news. You were lost. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come to heal the sick. Come on. The, the, what John is saying here is, it's, sin is lawlessness. Sin is utter rebellion against the creator. All of us are rebels in our lawlessness, but something awesome happened. 
But he appeared, Jesus appeared, in order to take away sins. Uh, John the Baptist, right? Where's John the Baptist? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Can you imagine being there in that moment? Like John's over there like baptizing and you're like, what's going on? This is what's happening. And he's just like, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All of the Old Testament, all of the Hebrew scriptures were pointing to that Lamb of God. And John the Baptist with those words is like, there he is. That's him. He has come to take away the sin of the world. This fires me up. Anyone else? Yeah? Can you tell? Do I need to tone it down? We good? Um, he appeared in order to take away sins. Now, but the, here's something cool. In him there is no sin. Old Testament sacrificial system, right? You need an unblemished lamb. And like with how many thousands of unblemished lambs that were sacrificed, everything was pointing to this one final lamb of God who would come and who would be the final sacrifice to end all sacrifice to atone for the sin of the world. He is the unblemished lamb that all of the sacrificial system was pointing to. And so John, John can be pretty circular in his writing, but in this paragraph, he's laying out like a Locke-type logic flow here that we need to see that has deep implications for our life. And here's the logic. He's like, sin is lawlessness, okay? But Jesus appeared to take away sin. Now he gets to what that should mean for our life. Verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And then he's like, just so I'm clear, let me say like the same thing from the opposite vantage point. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Y'all, that's a big statement. That's a big statement that we have to understand in the right way and not in the wrong way. What does it mean that no one who abides in him keeps on sinning? Because some of us are nervous right now just based on how the morning went, right? I want us to look. Well, first I want to point out the logic flow again. Sin is lawlessness. Jesus has come to take away sin. Thus, the one who abides in him cannot keep on sinning. But now I want to point out the way this phrasing appears throughout the paragraph. Uh, in verse 4, it says, makes a practice of sinning. Verse 6 says, keeps on sinning. Verse 8 says, makes a practice of sinning. Verse 9 says, makes a practice of sinning. John is really intentional with his phrasing here. He doesn't come to verse 6 and say, no one who abides in him ever sins again. There's something, too, in how John is phrasing this, makes a practice, keeps on sinning, continues in sin. There's something John is pointing to uh, of, of a statement that we say around here all the time. Patternly, not perfectly. You with me? Patternly, not perfectly. And here's why we know that. 
John, at the beginning of his letter, has already told us. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. The Bible never teaches sinless perfection on this side of Jesus. The Bible never teaches sinless perfection before we're with him in glory. And John is not saying this here. He's already told us earlier in this letter that no one who says they, someone who says that they have no sin, like they are deceiving themselves. What is John getting at here? John is getting at the child of God, the one in union with Jesus, the one in relationship with Jesus, cannot be in relationship and persisting in pattern of sin and disobedience. Now, let's understand this. Let's lay, let's lay these verses as a mirror to our heart and look at our life based on what John is saying here without falling into two errors. The first error is to believe that John is teaching sinless perfection in this earth. He's not. The reality is, even after we come into relationship with Christ, the flesh will rear its ugly head. Anyone have that happen this week at all? You didn't have to raise your hand. I pre- wow. <laughs> the boldness. The Christian wars against the old man flesh. But where Believers can walk out of the room rejoicing today. And believers, look at me. Don't come to a heavy paragraph like this and question your salvation. You walk out of here rejoicing at the righteousness that Christ is working in you. So the the new man, the new person, lustful thought comes to the mind the flesh rearing its ugly head, and the Spirit of God in us wars with it and wins. And we rejoice as believers after a temptation like that. Lord, the flesh just reared its ugly head again. I had a lustful thought. Thank God, though, I'm not the lustful man I once was. Anger in a moment. I confessed mine to you last week. Hanging a light fixture, all right? Anger in a moment. Flesh. But look, look at me, church. 17 years old, I was an angry young man. I can look at that. I can repent. I, Lord, forgive me for the outburst of anger in a moment on the top of a ladder, hanging a light fixture in my house but thank you that I'm no longer an angry man. You with me on the difference? No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Does the pattern of your life show a trajectory towards righteousness or Christ-likeness or not? Growing righteousness growing Christ-likeness or not. But now, 
The second error, the first error is to believe John's talking sinless perfection. He's not. The second error, though, is to read a statement like this with the sobering weight of it and to just quickly dismiss it away. Yep, but we all sin. Grace is good. Let's move on to the next part. Hold on. These are sobering words. And these words are a gift to us. If we're in the room right now and have looked the part of a Christian for years or decades but have never come into union with Christ, these words are a gift to us if you know how to do church attendance and Christian-y things, but if you're honest and you look at the pattern of your life, there has been no change trending towards righteousness whatsoever since the time you would, conf- you, would, you would say you trusted Christ. These words are a gift to you today. That you would lay them next to your life and use them as a mirror to say, whoa, There is absolutely no fruit of righteousness. And God, out of his love, would tell me that probably means there's no relationship with Christ. I'm not saying that the fruit of, your right, fruit of righteousness leads to your salvation. I am saying the fruit of righteousness in our life reveals that we are truly saved. And so don't make the second error of just flying past these verses without letting the sobering weight of that really sink in. All of that, under that short little phrase, if I know Christ, I won't persist in sin. Now, John tells us why that statement is true. If we know Christ, we won't persist in sin. Why is that true? How can we say that? Pick it up with me, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, verse 9. Before I read it, verse 9 is where it's at. Verse 9, like if someone asks you, like, hey, what was church about Sunday? Open your Bible to 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, and read it. This is what church is about today. Ready? No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. Now, let's just stop there and understand this. No one, John's saying, do you see John saying the same thing over and over and over again? Do you think he wants us to get this? But then he comes to verse 9 and he says, No one, a born of God, makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. John, why does no one born of God make a practice of sinning? Because God's seed abides in you. Okay, but John, what does that really mean? And to understand what that really means, we have to go all the way back to the foundation of the world. 
Quick recap of the early pages of Genesis. Uh, God creates heavens and earth. God puts man and woman, puts them in the Garden of Eden, says, enjoy, be fruitful, multiply, just don't eat of that tree. They eat of the tree. God said not to. Sin enters the world. All of the brokenness of sin uh, comes with the fall. And following the fall, in Genesis chapter 3, we see God give man and woman some consequences. And we also see God give some condemnation to the enemy. Okay? Here's what he says to the enemy. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your, what's the word? Or Hebrew seed. I will put enmity between your offspring, your seed, and hers. So there's a seed. There's an offspring that's going to come from Eve. And what is this offspring or seed going to do? He will crush your head. I love that. Both men and women should love that we have a head-crushing Savior. But men, come on, can we rejoice on that? We have a head-crushing Savior. Some of the ways Jesus is portrayed that are so like, well, just don't get me started. Um, he's a head-crusher. Jesus is the seed of Eve who will crush the enemy's head. And you will strike his heel, a reference to the cross. You're like, why are we in Genesis right now? What are you talking about? Back to 1 John. You have to see this. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. You have the head crusher in you. If you are in Christ, it's not just that like Jesus is your homeboy and he, like, he gets to go with you. You have the Spirit of God inside of you. And what is the Spirit of God but the Spirit of Christ? If you have the head crusher inside of you, if you have the sin crusher inside of you, look at how John ends, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. If I know Christ, I won't persist in sin because we are freed from the works of the devil through Jesus, God's seed abiding in us. Think about this. If you say you're in Christ, but your lifestyle is one of complete unrighteousness. There's no way. Because it would violate the very nature of the head crusher being in you. He can't walk in that way and he won't let you walk in that way. I've already qualified this by saying, yes, there's moments where the flesh rears its ugly head. Yes, there's seasons where we quench the spirit, grieve the spirit, push it away. But in the end, the spirit is clawing and fighting and making war against our sin. If there's no war against your sin in your life, there is no Christ in you. I know that's hard to hear. But I believe that's what John's saying here. You know you're a child because God's seed abides in you. The head crusher is in you. And he's warring 
against sin in us. And he is sanctifying us, making us more like the character of our Father. How many of you ever hear, man, you look just like your dad? How many of you ever hear, you look just like your mom? Uh, I did that face app thing, you know, that face app thing got popular. The Russians have my picture now. Yeah. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, there's an app out there. You can take a picture of yourself now. It'll show you what you look like um, aged. Like, who would want to do that, right? Um, I want to show you my, my face app here. On the right is my, me. On the left is my dad. We did it. I pulled it up. I was like, ah! Oh! I'm my dad. <laughs> we should be growing up to get that off the screen. Um, <laughs> we should be growing up to resemble the character of our father. Because his spirit abides in us. And he's warring against our flesh. And we're seeing increased victory over sin. And we're seeing increased righteousness. And we're growing in Christ's likeness. And John is just saying here, this is the mark of a child. This is what I think he means by he does not keep on sinning. He does not persist in that way. He does not go on in that way. Yes, there's flesh and yes, there's moments. But, but, but the seed crusher is warring and winning and growing us in righteousness. And all God's people said. And then verse 10. I love, one thing I love about John and his writing. He's just so straight to the point. You never have to wonder, like, John, what do you really mean there? Verse 10, he kind of summarizes all this. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Sometimes when we read verses like that, and I don't know what it is. I, I have thoughts in my head of why we do this. I think some of it is we can live in like a very politically correct culture. We struggle with like, our culture struggles with like absolute statements, can struggle with directness. And there's something inside of us at times when we read something like, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. You're like, whoa. Like, John, can't there be some kind of middle ground between those two? And scripturally, there isn't. And in Ephesians 2, we're told before Jesus, we were all people following the way of the world and the prince of the kingdom of the air. And why God doesn't get all PC on us here and, like, ambiguous is because he loves us. And he just wants to say, this, this, is, Brock, this is what's true. You need to hear, I love you. You need to hear this. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. 
And then he gives us a statement that transitions us to the next part for next week. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. If I know Christ, I won't persist in sin. Why is that true? Because we're freed from the works of the devil through Jesus, God's seed abiding in us. So, here's the summary. Children of God practice righteousness. Children of the devil don't. And that's what he tells us in verse 10. And here, here's my hope. That this paragraph, Christian, follower of Jesus, you who know the joy of union with Christ, you who have relationship with Jesus Christ, that you would walk out of here rejoicing over your adoption as a son or daughter and what this is telling you about the righteousness that Christ is working in you. And my other hope is that if you're in here this morning, And by the power of the Spirit, as the word has gone out, you have seen that your life has been built on religiosity and you've actually been rebelling against God in your religiosity. And you see your rebellion and you're hearing today that God loves you and is inviting you away from religiosity into relationship that today would be the day you obey the scriptures and call on the name of the Lord to be saved. As I say around here all the time, like, what does that mean? I always picture I'm at the bottom of a well, unable to rescue myself. How would I cry out from there for someone to rescue? I pray for the one here who has been clinging to some past experience with Jesus that has never led to life change trending towards righteousness, greater righteousness, greater Christ-likeness, that today would be the day all of that religiosity is just stripped away and you are laid bare before the Lord to just say, rescue me. I don't want the religiosity game anymore. I want a real relationship that today would be the day. And so if you would, church, just stand with me. And as you stand, if you'd just bow your head for a time of prayer. And first service, just so cool to see people indicate that the Lord had rescued them out of religiosity and into relationship. I just wonder with heads bowed in here, is there anyone in the room today who, after being confronted lovingly by the Word of God this morning, would say, I have built my life on religiosity, Christian-y stuff, but I, today I see there was never any life change. There was never any heart change. There was never a change directing me towards righteousness. And I see today that I, re I need Christ. I don't need just Christian things. I need Christ. Anyone just slip your hand in the air and say that's you today? Praise the Lord. So what I would tell you, if that's you, whether you raised your hands or didn't, um, the Bible promised you whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm not going to give you a prayer to pray. 
I believe it's the, if the Holy Spirit's working in your heart, he's going to lead you to cry out in your way, in your voice right now. Tell him you see your sin, how it's separated you from God. And ask Jesus to come save you. walks in, you're like, I wasn't clinging to religiosity. I was like overt rebellion. I didn't even know that there was a God who created me, and I didn't, I, I didn't even care that there was a God who created me. Today I know, and today I care. Anyone just want to lift your hand in the air and say, I want to meet Jesus today out of that? Praise the Lord. Same for you. Cry out. Your maker hears you invites you. Acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge you see you're separated and invite him as Savior. And so, Lord, we rejoice right now that by the power of your Spirit, you have called some home. Your word says you've called them out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom Now, Lord, everyone with your spirit dwelling in them in this place can rejoice at the righteousness you're working in them. Lord, before the sun sets tonight, the flesh will rear its ugly head, but your spirit will war. And you will grow us into a greater likeness of your son until we're with you in glory and we will be released completely from this body of death. We long for that day. But until that day, Father, would Christ be formed in us in a greater and greater way.